Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. PJ, it was like you know, in Croke Park and Cork winning the All-Ireland for me. The massive problem we have in this country is the shadow economy, the black market. Everything can be controlled, and that's the job of the government. I just wanted to give back. We're all going to be old someday. It's nice to know that there's someone looking out for you. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 Email opinion at 96FM. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cox 96 FM. It's a dull, dreary old Friday morning, cold and damp. And there has been a six-car pileup. Hopefully nobody is, is injured. Uh, Wayne can bring us up to speed, go straight out on the roads with uh, Wayne Hilton. Wayne, what can you tell me? Morning. Uh, good morning, PJ. Yes, um, it's, it's one of the busiest spots this morning. Is traffic basically travelling in on the Southern Road if you're coming in from the Douglas side, travelling over the Douglas flyover. Right now, things backing back close to the Bloomfield Interchange as you move towards Vernon Mount, we'll say, then closer towards the Kinsale Road roundabout. Um, multi-vehicle, as we've said, there's six vehicles involved, and that's what's causing the queue at the minute. Where exactly is it? When, where is the... the... It's Sure, it's it's actually just close towards the Kinsale Road roundabout, but such is the, the nature of traffic that's queuing there. It's backing things up now towards Bloomfield itself. Right. We don't know if anybody's hurt at this stage. Are there emergency vehicles there? Um, not too sure. Emergency vehicles are there. Not too sure anything else at the minute. Unfortunately, we couldn't fly today where the conditions weren't yeah. favourable for flying, so couldn't get a, a quite a, a, a good look, look at it as we possibly could. Uh, but that's what we have so far, and that's just uh, where the queuing is, just by Bloomfield as you travel again towards Douglas and then towards the Kinsale Road roundabout. Okay, so, so we have rather a, a long delay. There is a closure coming in town, Wayne, that I think people mm. will be interested in. Coburg Street. Yeah, it's part of the city councils. Um, we've spoken about this before. I'm sure you have as well. The, the, the public transport improvement scheme, and it's going to be affecting Coburg Street at the junction with Bridge Street. A busy stretch, particularly in the mornings and the evenings, as you know. School drop-offs will play a factor there. So that's going to close. Actually, there'll basically be no through traffic from next Tuesday, the 31st of January, as works get underway. There, there will be local and emergency access to businesses and residents uh, will be able to uh, get around there. But other than that traffic will be diverted in the area. There will be a dedicated set-down space on Leitrim Street for school drop-offs and collection and short-term parking as well for local businesses. That's starting from Tuesday next. So you'll be able to get into Leitrim Street and will you be able to get up onto, say, Patrick's Hill, Wellington Road or what? 
I would imagine from Leitrim Street, yes, you'll be able to go up, I would say, towards uh, towards Wellington Road, or other than that, traffic will divert back around as well, I would think, uh, on towards the end of the Blackpool Bypass, on towards the Christie Ring Bridge, but certainly no further than the lights at the moment, uh, just after the junction of Leitrim Street, as you turn there, as you say, up towards Patrick's Hill, um, you won't be able to go much further than that. And this is part of the, the improvements planned by, by Council. Do we know how long Corbrook Street will close for, Wayne? Uh, not sure. It certainly is going to be more than a week or so by the looks of it. I don't have an actual date when okay. it's due to reopen, but it, it, it's, it's, going to be, it's going to be a stretch of time there before it's finished. So it's not going to be a day or two. Okay. Okay. Thank you for that. It comes into effect on the 31st of January, which is Tuesday week. I thought today was about the 64th of January. January, just such a long Irish month. Thank you, Wayne. And that six car pileup causing traffic delays in many areas this morning out the general out along the South Link Road. There's a car broken down on the Wilton flyover as you come in from Ballancolic. Right. I'm, I'm glad I get in here early before all this crack starts. 0818 96 96 96 is the number. The text to WhatsApp 083 396 96 96 and the email is opinion at 96fm.ie. Now, this day last week, just as we got off the air, news was breaking of the discovery of a body in a house, a derelict house near Mallow. And we learned in the days following that the body was that of a man called Timmy O'Sullivan, a Kerry man originally who spent a lot of time in the UK and then who came back and bought that house near Mallow and sadly died in his bed. And the house was boarded up, uh, deemed to be derelict and last week on foot of a compulsory purchase order, council officials broke into the house and found the... Uh, bones, as it were, of Timmy O'Sullivan in in his bed. Uh, Subsequently, a post-mortem found that there was no foul play or nothing suspicious involved in his death, which must have been a huge relief for his family. He was originally from Cahar Sivine in County Kerry. He has got relatives and they have issued a statement to the media. It's quite a detailed statement. And it's read for us now by our Head of News, Barry O'Mahony. We, the family of Timothy O'Sullivan, would like to state that while we are heartbroken and very upset at the circumstances of our dear Timothy's death, we are simultaneously relieved and happy that the ultimate question that has haunted us for many years of his whereabouts circumstances has been resolved and that we as a family can lay him to rest with his family as is his right. Timothy O'Sullivan was born in 1939 in England. He worked as a compositor in a printing works in the UK and was a very bright, intelligent and able man and came to Kerry often on his holidays with his wife. He purchased a house in Mallow and moved there later in his life when his marriage broke down. Reports have been made in the media in recent days that Tim struggled with his mental health. But really, it was more a case of a man with a broken heart who wished for privacy and time to be alone to come to terms with his separation, as was his right. Ireland at that time was not similar to the Ireland of today, where people are in constant contact via messaging apps and mobile phones. But Timothy did keep regular contact with all of his family. He spoke about returning to the UK again, but nothing was set in stone. However, then, after a while, communication from Tim had ceased. 
His family made every effort to locate him. They visited his house in Mallow several times, but had no method of access without breaking and entering. It was reported to the authorities who said the matter was looked into thoroughly, that there was nobody living in the house, and that from investigations made locally, it was certain he had returned to the UK, and that was where the family should continue to search. Our family had always hoped and prayed that Tim was alive and happy, but unfortunately all those hopes were dashed on Tuesday last when we heard of his passing. All we can do now is respectfully ask the media for privacy and time to grieve our Tim in what for us is an ultimate worst-case scenario situation and give us time to afford us an opportunity to grieve the loss of Tim and to come to terms with the whole situation. It is not a time for recrimination. We merely want to lay our Timothy to rest in peace. Thanks to Barry for reading that for us. That's the statement from Timmy's family, who did wonder for years where he was, what had happened to him, why had he lost contact. They went to the house, couldn't get into the house, were told there was nobody in the house, were told there was no one living there. And maybe they should search search in the UK. Presumably they did that too. Only for, as they say themselves, the worst case scenario to unfold last week. So our thoughts with them. And that is their statement, the statement of the family of the late Timmy O'Sullivan. Now another desperately sad story that's in your newspapers this morning and was on your television and radio news last evening was, again, another one of these worst nightmares This is the story of Mia O'Connell. She was a four-month-old baby. And she was mauled to death by a family pet as she slept in her cot. Just a desperate, desperate tragedy. It happened in Waterford in 2021. And her inquest took place yesterday. Uh, desperately, desperately sad story. Tragic, tragic story. And we have, courtesy of Virgin Media News, uh, Paul Burns' report on that inquest yesterday. Baby Mia's father, Reese, and his partner, Ella, who was too upset to attend court today, were ecstatic when their daughter was born. Today, however, he and relatives had to listen to graphic evidence how the rescue dog, who the court was told belonged to someone else and who was staying at the house at the time, killed baby Mia. It's unbearable. The pain is unbearable. Um, I don't think it'll ever go away. Um, Our hearts are broken forever. We'll never get her back. Um, It's just, sorry, it's just, it's like a nightmare. It's still like a nightmare. You know, three months old, full of smiles, full of giggles, and she was just taken away from us so abruptly and so tragically. Um, we just, we just don't know what to do. In a statement read to the court, Mia's mother said she didn't like or trust the dog who tried to snap at Mia on the day she arrived home from Waterford Regional Hospital where she had been born. The court heard how on the 6th of June 2021, baby Mia was placed in a Moses basket and settled down for the night quite well. A few hours later, Mia's aunt went to check on her niece but let out a huge scream when she found the infant lying on the floor. Mia's mother then ran up the stairs to find blood on her daughter's face as well as clothing. The dog was on the landing, covered in blood. It was disgusting, the court was told. 
A post-mortem found little Mia died from traumatic brain injury but felt no pain as she would have lapsed into unconsciousness very quickly. I don't think I've said goodbye to her yet really to be honest. <laughs> I haven't let her go yet and I don't think I ever will. No. But she's here with us. She'll always be here with us in our hearts and that's what we'll hold on to was her memory. The terrier type rescue dog was put to sleep within hours of mauling baby Mia. I think it's best to just be very, very vigilant and be very, very, very careful to everyone out there because you just don't know what's going to happen. You never expect this to happen, but unfortunately it happened to us. Coroner Philip Common said Mia's death was a terrible tragedy, but we must all remember at the end of the day, a dog is an animal who can attack anyone at any time. Thank you, Paul. That's a report from Paul Bourne. Uh, courtesy of Virgin Media News. We were speaking last night to Mia's devastated auntie, Heidi. I spoke to her off air last night. Uh, the family are incredibly upset uh, following the inquest, as you'd appreciate. She may speak with us over the coming days. Uh, they're also very keen to campaign for stricter rules around the rehoming of dogs. The dog was a dashund terrier cross. It wasn't one of these so-called dangerous breeds or anything like that. It was a little cross terrier, little sausage dog cross called Red and was just rehomed, privately rehomed. And the coroner, I'm reading from Own English's report in The Examiner, the coroner says he has two dogs himself. He fully appreciates the wonderful sense of companionship that they gave, but he said he hopes that lessons can be learned from this. He urged people to research the behaviour of any dog that they rescue and bring into their home. He said at the end of the day, dogs are still animals and can be unpredictable. This is especially so when a dog's position in the family home is displaced by the arrival of a newcomer. In this case, baby Mia. 0818969696. It is something that, look, that the amount of time we talk and spend talking about dogs on this programme and everybody knows how I feel about my dogs and how everybody loves their dog. But the one thing you never do, the one thing you're told never to do, or is never leave a dog alone with a child. Now, clearly, clearly this oh, man alive, man alive, you just can't even get it into your head or get your head around what that family are going through. As I said, I think with Emer was speaking to Heidi last night, and we may speak with her in the coming days. Once the trauma of the uh, inquest is is maybe over them a little, because they want to talk about rules for the rehoming of dogs. Live free in twenty three. Listen and win. Oh my god! Yeah! A year to remember. Cut the cost of living for one loyal listener. With the ultimate live free grand prize. Win a holiday. Free fuel. Supermarket shopping. Computers and electrical. Concert tickets. Fashion and beauty. Free food. And a credit union account with cash. Spending money. Money. Listen to Casey and Ross in the morning and all day long. For your chance to text or WhatsApp in to win. Win. Live free in 23. With Cork Credit Unions. Here for you always. <laughs> Only on Cork's 96 FM. Joined on the line by Vincent Cashman from the CSPCA. Just in the wake of, in the, of that horrific tragedy, Vincent, that, that befell the O'Connell family 
it's every family's worst nightmare, isn't it? That a jealous, a jealous dog will turn. Because that would seem to have happened here. A jealous dog will turn on a small baby. Morning. Good morning, PJ. Um, unfortunately, in this case, yes. Um, it's it's very, very tragic. Um, our, our thoughts and prayers uh, go to the family. Um, it's a very, very difficult time. Especially with the inquest to go back over to your 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 re um your raking overall calls again on it, yeah. um, but it it it, it look it, it highlights particularly in the last couple of weeks that people need to start taking dog ownership and everything in relation to 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 owning a pet dog seriously. Yeah, we're always being told, Vincent, to you know adopt, don't shop. Uh, yes, this was a rescue dog. Yes, um, it, it was a rescue dog, PJ, but any dog, regardless of its um, breeding, regardless of where it's come from, could do this. The fact that it's a rescue dog, unless there was prior history with the dog, mm. that would mean, make no... Like, we, we, we would be... We would be offered dogs here from from the the public. We'd say for surrender, or we pick them up as strays. If if we if we take in a uh, surrender here, we ask the person, look, why are you getting rid of the dog? And the vast majority of people are very honest with you, right? They'll say, look, they they haven't got the time or whatever. And unfortunately, some dogs will bite people. Yeah, and um, they have a history of biting, and families maybe at their their they've they've tried this and they've tried that to overcome it. And realistically, if the dog is biting one family, and we'd say to them, look, if you're surrendering the dog to us because it's biting people. Mm. If you put that down in an adoption form, on a form here for us, a surrender form, or the dog is this, the dog is that, but the dog has done this, would you actually adopt that dog yourself? And the answer would be no. Mm. Nobody is willing or, you know, in the full knowledge would take on a dog that has bitten somebody in the past. Because if they've bitten somebody in the past, they may do it again. Is this why, Vincent, uh, vets uh, in particular have a, a pretty hard and fast rule that if a dog bites, particularly if they break the skin, that that dog must go to sleep? Is, is that is that? It's okay. Actually, PJ, some of some of the vets, and we, we've we've seen it particularly over the last six months, where people are contacting us, and we say, look, the dog has bitten this person, and the dog has bitten that person. Or there could be a, a multitude of different reasons, right? Mm. Um, and some vets are actually refusing to put the dog to sleep. Yeah. If the dog, if if the dog is an aggressive, no, but nobody wants to put an animal to sleep. It is it is an awful position to put somebody in. Yeah. Um, nobody wants to do it, but for the greater good, or for you know, for for protecting their own family or protecting. Um, members of the public, sometimes tough decisions have to be made, and it's it's part of being a dog owner. That if if you take on the responsibility of of taking on a dog, you take the good, the bad, and the ugly. And if a decision has to be made where your dog has attacked somebody or has done a lot of damage, then th- that decision should be the dog owner's to make. Yeah, and it shouldn't be down to um, common sense should prevail, PJ. Yeah, I, I had to do it once, Vincent, uh, and mm-hmm. I and I know the pain, the heart pain that goes with it. An animal that you love, uh, you have to do it. You have, to, and I remember my vet at the time. His man has passed away now, but I remember him saying, "We have no choice here. We have yeah. no choice." There, there has to be a case of it is it is unfair to pass 
um, a dog to somebody else, knowing. And when we get here, look, the dog is after biting one of my children at home. I'd like to get the dog rehomed. And we explain the situation to him. Exactly as I've said, you'd have to put that down the form. And would you adopt that dog yourself? And the answer is always no. Yeah. Or there might be somebody there, a family with no kids. Ireland at the moment, no matter where you go, there, there are going to be kids out. There's going to be, you take the dog to a park. You do this. You're, it's going to meet people. It's going to mix with other dogs. It's going to, it, it's too dangerous a situation to put yourself, a dog and somebody else in. Mm. The kindest thing to do is, unfortunately, put it to sleep. I, I'll, I'll give you an example, PJ. We were dealing with um, a, a dog warden training event here um, about three months ago. Yeah. And the, the company came down and their dog behaviours, um, I would take what she says as gospel. I, I've, I've worked it over the years and she, she's very, very good with dogs. And 60% of the dogs that she's working at at the moment with families um, she has recommended to be put to sleep. It's that bad. Wow. Because breeding, yeah. the, the dogs, where, where they got them from, the breeds of dogs, the mixes of dogs, and it's during COVID, as we've said this and we've, from, for months now, Ireland is actually saturated with dogs. We're super saturated with dogs. Mm. Are we too um, many? Every, we too many. We have way too many. The shelters are heaving. Um, puppy breeders now as well are ending up with dogs for a lot longer than they would have thought. So if there's somebody taking on a pup, you're taking on a pup between, it, it should be between eight and ten weeks. Mm. Right? Some people during COVID got pups at five weeks, six weeks old. That's utterly... Um, uh, that dog isn't even properly weaned. It, exactly. It's it's reprehensible to take it away from its mother. And then it it doesn't have the antibodies and it hasn't built up the immunity to, mm. to we'll say, parvovirus now and, and yeah. um, lepto and everything else. Well, plus I would suggest, so, Vincent, that dog is not properly weaned, not properly socialised, hasn't had the inherent instinctive training from its mother into how, will be a do- how to be a dog. Exactly. And there is, years ago, now you're dealing with places that if, if, if people are taking on a dog, if they want to, to get a dog, they need to seriously do their homework. Mm. We've had them here, um, people getting Argentinian Togo crosses, XL Bully crosses, uh, Malinois, uh, German, uh, uh, Belgian Malinois. These dogs are not family pets. Yes. They're simply not family pets. The, the, the likes of Belgian Malamov, which we're trying to get onto the restricted breeds list. Now, we're trying to get XL bullies on the restricted breeds list as well because, unfortunately, some people now are crossing the, the bullies with Malinois. That sounds like so, an awful concoction of a dog, to be honest. <coughs> I'm, not, I'm, I'm not being nasty. Like, it, it, years ago, people, if they were getting a guard dog or, or, or anybody that was using a dog for guard work would use a German Shepherd. Give me a German Shepherd any day of the week. Mm-hmm. If you have a Belgian Shepherd, you're, you're dealing with a dog. It's skinnier than a German Shepherd. So you can see them, they're black and tan. Um, they're very black around the face, but it's kind of more of a tan body. And they're ferociously agile. And we've, we've had them attack people in, in Cork for, for years, but the attacks are getting more ferocious. Right. They have a bite. They have a, even if they're if you're walking with them, they take serious training to get mm. some of the quirks out of them. 
Do you and believe, Vincent, that there are certain breeds? And I know in that misfortunate lad up the country there before Christmas, that little lad in, in was it Wexford? Uh, yes. it was Do you think that there are certain breeds of dog that it should be against the law to own? Right. If there are some breeds out there that, that we'll say we have our restricted breeds list in Ireland, right? And realistically, if you want to keep it, the restricted breeds list hasn't been reviewed in a number of years. They're putting um, the Cane Corso now on, on the restricted breeds list, right? They're putting the Cane Corso on the restricted breeds list, but there are 20 times as, as many Belgian Malinois out there as Cane Corsos. Mm. There is 20 times as many XL bullies out there as there is Cane Corsos. Yeah, and and none actually, of those dogs it, was, it was Alejandro Michan, the little lad, the little nine-year-old dad. It was an XL bully that attacked him. Yes. And you see, unfortunately, some of them, we, we've met, uh, look, we deal with dogs every day of the week, but if you're, if you're dealing with the likes of um, any of the bull breeds, the vast, vast majority of them are fine. Mm. The vast majority of them are fine. But you don't know what they've been but, crossed with. But you, but you don't know what they've been crossed with. And if they do get out, um, some people would start screaming and roaring. So the, 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 the environment in which the dog has been in. So if he's in your backyard and he knows his backyard, that's his territory. And if the dog gets out onto uh, a green in front of the house, there's cars, there's extra traffic, there's extra people, there's buggies, there's extra dogs. You're throwing the dog out of his, in, of his comfort zone. I see. And then it can react. Okay. So what we would recommend, if, so, if somebody wants to come along and own a dog on the restricted breeds list, we are going to have to wake up in this country that if you want to own a dog that potentially can do damage, then you need to um, pay for it with your dog license. And your dog license for restricted breeds should be several hundred euros per dog. Okay. This, then this anybody is... who's taking them on are serious about doing it. Okay. So if you want, like in, in, in countries in Europe, if you want to own a German Shepherd, we're, we're lagging way behind Europe when it comes to licensing of dogs. Okay. Come back to the, the story at hand, Vincent, the tragedy. This little thing was only a sausage dog crossed with a terrier. Yes. So it, yes. it just goes to show, and come back to where we started this conversation, you have to be so, so careful when you're bringing a dog into your home or even a neighbour's home. In, you, when you're bringing a dog in where there are going to be children, you need to be careful. You need to be careful. S some kids, you see, don't see fear as well. Now, this is only a, and, a, a tiny infant. Yes. So I mean, they, they look. It, this, this, the circumstances behind this are just, they're just awful. Um, it's, it's you, 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 you have to make it a point of being one hundred percent. Um, that your dog, that the dog, if you're anyway dodgy of them, or anyway, if there's an unknown dog to you, that it's, it's one hundred percent secure. Can't get out, mm. and you have to make sure of that. Yeah. Um, look, it's it's everyone as I said, everyone has a doctorate in hindsight, um, but this is just this is just tragic. That's this a, is just tragic. But it goes to show the the breeding of this dog, it, it, like it was a Dachshund, uh, Dachshund or a Dachshund cross. Um, they're generally speaking, they can be a little bit quirky. Uh, Dachshund owners will tell you that they can be a little bit quirky, but to go to this length, to go to this extreme, would be unheard of. Yeah, 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 yeah. Des des desperate tragedy altogether. Um, just well, come back to pups and people getting pups. And if there's a story in the news at the moment, and I'm conscious that it's under appeal, so we can't say a whole pile, but puppy farms, Vincent, and you'll be yes. aware of the story that's going around at the moment. 
What's your view on yes. him? Um, basically, um, again, as I said, the, the, the country is saturated with dogs. So if you have um, um, a DB or a dog breeding establishment, um, affectionately known as puppy farms, right? If, if they're coming along and if they have bred X amount of dogs, they are now finding it extremely difficult to get rid of dogs as well. Mm. So again, you have a window, PJ. If you were going to look for a puppy, you're going to, you want a puppy that's eight to maybe 12 weeks old. After that, they start to, um, they're starting to develop. So they're, they're starting to develop their own um, ideas and their own methods of training themselves, right? Where, oh, I see. where it should be, it should be human involvement, right? So ideally, it's you, you'd be looking at between eight and twelve, eight to ten weeks. And and the, that's the, why the that time frame is so important, is it? Because at five weeks they're way too young, and it's cruel to take them away. And then at twelve yes. weeks they're starting to turn into a dog, rather than just a well, puppy. they're starting to get they're starting to get ideas themselves. I see. No, you could still you can still get you can still get the um, the training into them, but if they're we'll say in a setting where they're not getting one to one. Mm. Or they're not in in a much smaller group. You like you could be dealing with in some circumstances. Uh, some of these farms have hundreds of dogs, so they're not going to get the same time, the same um, we'll say interaction that they would if the dog was at home. I see, I see. And it can it can develop it it can develop little quirks yeah. um, as they get older as well. If you're inside in the litter of puppies, they'll they'll start fighting more. You can see that in them. Um, yeah. They'll start getting a little bit more feisty and then trying to get that out of them afterwards can be a little bit of a problem. Indeed. A lot of these farms, well, if they have hundreds of dogs, that it, it is a very, very expensive undertaking. Very, very expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're not, if you're not, if you're not like, like any business, if you're not selling your product, it starts to back up. Yeah. And I think that's what's happening now. Okay, Vincent, lastly, I want to touch on something. I'm quite shocked to read here in front of me that you and your colleagues are starting to need body cams. What the hell? Yes. What's going okay. on? Um, basically, the way things have gone with our, with our job, um, some of the circumstances that we would be going to would be, um, I would consider them dangerous, right? Um, they've had shotguns pointed at them. They've had um, threatened hurlies, stuff thrown at them. Um, even just to give you uh, um, an example, last um, Saturday morning, one of our wardens was out doing the parks and um, witnessed a guy's dog um, defecating on the footpath. Went over to him and said, look, would you mind picking that up? And he said, no, it's not my dog's at all. There was a, a little bit of a trying noise that it was. I saw your dog doing it. No, he said it wasn't my dog. And um, my colleague went over and said, look, I'll get you poo bags if you don't have poo bags. And he said to him, if you, if you come near me with the poo bags, I'm going to kick the dog feces into your face. Right? Now, these are people go out there doing their job. Mm. They're out there trying to instill. And again now, talking about dogs under control and keeping dogs, keeping dogs properly and responsibly. That is what we're trying to do. But we have gotten to the stage now where um, they're getting threats more or less on a weekly, if not a, um, a bi-weekly basis. We can't do it anymore. So now they're going to be putting body cameras on. At the start, um, if they're dealing with difficult cases, if they know they're going into a difficult case, they will be wearing a body camera. They will be telling the person this is being recorded. They're not asking them, they're telling them it's being recorded. It's all GDPR protected. Uh, we've gone through all the, the yeah. it's encrypted and codes and all that. But unfortunately, um, I can see a situation where that 
in the not too distant future, it'll be like putting on their safety boots. They'll be putting on the body cameras. This, this, actually, Vincent, this is this is upsetting to hear. Bus driver. I mean, we got bus drivers and train drivers and taxi drivers and guards and paramedics. Now, dog wardens, all being sort of attacked or at least verbally assaulted as they go around their working day. You're around the block a few years, my friend. Ireland is changing, and not in a good way. No, it's not. Society has changed. I think definitely since the so-called Celtic Tiger, um, an element has crept in, and it's unfortunately hasn't receded. I mean, we, we there are people involved in animal welfare in Ireland that wear anti-stab vests going to a job. And they're involved in animal welfare. They're not involved in minding the crown jewels. They're not involved in um, massive security operations. They're checking on animal welfare and they have to put on an anti-stab vest to do their job. That's extraordinary. That's that's where we are. That's extraordinary. Vincent, I thank you for your time. Grateful for it. Vincent Cashman from Cork Society, a prevention of cruelty to animals. I know that's a wide-ranging conversation. We started talking about Poor little Mia O'Connell. And as I said, we'd hope hope to be able to speak to her auntie in the days to come. But there's now dog wardens have to go to, and people working in animal welfare have to go to work with a stab vest on. What is wrong with us? What has happened to this country? This lovely place where I grew up, where you could go about your business and you were safe. You, you know, but now we've got dog wardens added to the list, bus drivers, train drivers, I said it before, taxi drivers, guards, paramedics, nurses in, in doing their job in hospitals, all being attacked, verbally abused, hit, nurses assaulted. You don't have to listen to the INMO when they have their annual conference, how many assaults take place on nurses. And now there's Vincent Cashman, one of the most senior officials in the animal welfare industry in the entire country telling me that he and his colleagues are going to start to wear body cams because they've had shotguns pulled on them they've had a hurley swung at them and they're wearing stab vests, some of them going in to do a day's work what is wrong with us? this is, I'm sorry I don't shock easily but dog wardens, they have to wear stab vests and body cams. That's a whole new level of crazy. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96 FM. The Balancholic 5K Your Way group invites those living with and beyond cancer, their families, friends and those working in cancer services to walk, jog, run, cheer or volunteer at the Park Run Balancholic on Saturday morning the 28th of January. If you're interested in taking part, the event is free and the group will be meeting just before the Park Run at 20 past 9 at the Regional Park Balancholic. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email the details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie The Cork Diary with corksimon.ie because everyone who calls Cork home should have one. Corks 96fm. A few calls coming in on dogs and rescue dogs and attacks on workers and things like that. Kevin morning to you, you're on the radio. Hi, PJ, good morning, how are you? What do you want to say? 
I'm going to say, but uh, you know, I've been listening the last gentleman actually said everything really. He's, uh, he was pretty on point. Um, yeah, look, watch. Um, I, I do feel that does a dog breed for for every particular person? If you if you Google what dog you're interested in, and you Google their traits, even if they're crossbreeds, you can Google what both their traits are, yeah. and you could be fairly certain that's going to come out in their personality. You know, um, uh, I, you know, I've, I've had quite a number of dogs myself. Um, I've always found. If you have them from a pup yourself, and as the men said, if you had given that one in one time yeah. and you put it into them, they, they'll forever be loyal to you. But if you're getting it as a, a rescue dog or whatever, you you just never know. And, and that's the thing, you don't know what it's been through, you know, what's in its mind, what might set it off, mm. you know. Um, and that's I, I, I would always just go myself with a, uh, with a new pup. We, we, are, we are always being told now, Kevin, you know, I, 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 and your great people tell us adopt, don't shop. But but this was a little cross. This this and we're very mindful of the tragedy of the family in of course. So yeah. um, that's what triggered this conversation. But we, we go beyond it. Vincent Cashman, they're saying, and God, if, if a man knows dogs, it's Vincent Cashman knows dogs. He said, when you are rescuing, homing a cross, you need to be careful where that cross came from. You need to be careful of the other dog's background, why it's being rehomed. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, uh, it, it, it can be very uns- unsure about a dog. For me personally, um, before I had my child, I would have never had a problem going in to get a rescue dog. I've had friends who got them, and they are the nicest, most yeah. sweetest dogs you'll ever find. But for me, I would always say a rescue dog would be best based on maybe a single person or a couple, an elderly person, depending on the breed, of course, they want. Whereas if you're bringing a newborn or a baby into a house or a dog into a house with a baby or newborn, that's when it becomes unpredictable because the dog is, you know, not much smaller or bigger than the baby. So he, you know, I, I just find um, it's a little safer for for. Somebody without his uh, kids. Vincent uh, was making the point: like, why is the dog being rehomed? Why? Yeah, it, it, you, you need to look know. into that. People mightn't be honest all the time. You know, they might kind of bluff around in a small bit. Yeah. Um, it's hard to know. It's very unfortunate. You'd be speechless after hearing the story, and you know, your heart goes out to the family, of course. Yeah, indeed it yeah. does. Indeed it does. Indeed, it's 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 tragic on on so many levels. Kevin, thank you. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Kira, you were listening to Vincent. Morning. Hi, morning. How are you? Good. What'd you like to say? So I suppose, like what I've noticed with any of these stories, these absolute tragedies that come out, is that a lot of the time the focus is on the restricted breeds. There's always a mention back to them, and even in this horrendous case where a restricted breed dog wasn't involved the focus is still on increase the fee of the dog license for restricted breeds, restricted breeds this, restricted breeds that. Why aren't we looking at dogs individually? Why why isn't there some sort of a system where we can get our dogs assessed I don't know, on a six monthly annual basis to assess their temperaments Mm -hmm. you know, to see does that individual dog need to be some bit more restricted or not. Well, I think the, the, the reference to the restricted breeds in my conversation with Vincent was mm. to illustrate that while we might associate these kind of tragedies with a restricted dog, this wasn't a restricted dog. And yeah. I think that's what Vincent was making the point. It was a rescue. Yeah. And it was a yeah. rescue cross. And that we need to be very cognizant when we are taking on a rescue of its yeah. background. Why was it surrendered? Yeah, absolutely. And in fairness, I think to, you know, a lot of the dog rescue centres, 
they do put limitations in place where, you know, it needs to be children over the age of 12. That's right. Um, no other dogs in the household. So, yeah, I think it's just, you know, and it goes back as well to, you know, I think, you know, he had mentioned about the dog licences and paying higher fees to show that you're serious. I think that should be, across the board, everyone should be serious about owning a dog. I think the point he was making there, Kira, was, and I'm sure you may have heard it the same way I did, there are there is a list, the restri- there are no banned dogs in this country. Yeah. There is a restricted list, and he was saying, look, if you want to own a dog on that restricted list, or a cross of a dog on that restricted list, fine, but we must mm-hmm. up the cost of the license for that dog to several hundred euro. Yeah, but I, I just I I know I know maybe I'm a bit biased because I am a staffy owner as okay. well. Um, are they on the restricted list? Staffies are on the restricted list. Shockingly, okay. yeah. <laughs> because any staffie I've met, indeed, now, I, I've, I know a lot a lot of people who have staffies and they're a wonderful <laughs> pet when they're oh, properly reared. Absolutely. And of course, like when, when we got our dog, we were very, very serious and we understood he was on the restricted list. Um, I failed to see why. May, may I ask you, if I, if I may be so bold as to ask, why did you go for a dog that was on the restricted list in the first place? Because I feel, I suppose, I've always felt strongly about the point that I have, which is I don't think it's down solely to the breed. It's also the dog itself and their yeah. nature and I mean Staffies they're referred to as the nanny dog because they are actually known to be so good with children um, when I met him his temperament was just absolutely amazing and you know you can just have that click with a dog yeah. um, I adore him I absolutely adore him and I'm not stupid I am aware he is an animal any animal can turn on a child an adult but that's, I think that's what people need to understand. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not referring to Vincent or anything like that, but just in general, you would hear a lot of focus on the restricted breeds. And I think we need to look at the dogs individually. Yeah. And I think it would be great and actually a great money-making idea for the government if they're looking to bring in some extra money. Why don't we assess our dogs individually? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and then it's a case of, okay, this dog is certified that they're not restricted for the next year. And I say yearly because, again, their temperaments can change over time. And I'm aware of that. Mind you, when you have a country, Kira, as Vincent said, which is now overrun with dogs and thousands of them not licensed and not microchipped, you're mm-hmm. probably looking at a, a pipe dream. It, it's not going to happen. Do you know what I mean? But any serious dog owner should. I mean, yeah, I yeah. would be the first to do it. If they brought in, if they said, we're charging you 100 euro, 150 euro to certify that your dog for the next year doesn't need to be muzzled. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't pose any extra risk um, to children or adults, you know, and he doesn't, you know, like say, he doesn't have to have any extra restrictions in comparison to a sausage dog or whatever. So we'd, we'd say, you're saying we'd get, we'd get our family mutt checked every year to see are they safe? Yeah. Mm. It's interesting. Yeah. I, I think it's a good idea and I think it will bring in money and I think anybody who's serious about, you know, safety and about their dog, they should get that, you know, they should want to ensure that that their dog is safe. I mean, we do yearly or two yearly NCTs on our cars to make sure that they're safe to drive true. on the road. That's true. That's true. You know, I, I think it's a good money-making idea and if the government wants to take it, work away and I'll be the first to pay for it because I would love, you know, I'd love to have that certification for my dog to prove, look, he, he is 
he is good and he is no more dangerous than the Labrador down the road or the sausage dog. Um, and I'd be happy to get that assessed yearly or however long they feel, you know, that I need to get that done to prove that. And if it changed over time and if his temperament wasn't up to scratch, so be it. I'd accept that because, of course, we have to put the safety of children first. Kira, what a mm. great contribution to the programme. Thank you. 0818969696. Agree or disagree with her? She makes a strong point. He's on love for belters only, making you feel good. Or has Lewis Capaldi got you thinking, forget him? What I want. Tell us the music you want to hear. And what songs should disappear with the Cork's 96FM Music Panel. Take our 10-minute music survey. And you could win a 100 euro penny voucher. Give it a go right now. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. C96FM.ie The lines are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. Parks 96FM. Next chance to win that massive prize pot in Live Free in 23. Why, would we say half an hour? Yeah. Definitely do it in the next half an hour. 40 minutes tops. You know what's going to happen. I'll tell you when. And then you need to dial in, or I beg your pardon, text or WhatsApp in to 083 396 96 96. Tell us you want to take part. We will then randomly select a number and dial it. And you have to answer your phone properly. I want to live free with Cork's 96 FM. If you do that, you get into the grand final. You've had some fun during the week with engaged phones and people losing the phone down the back of the baby's buggy. Everything. But we've got a few qualifiers through and we'll get another one between, hopefully, between this and 11. I would reckon in the next half an hour or so. 0818 96 96 96 is the number. The text of WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. I will come back to dogs and I will come back to the issues raised by Vincent Cashman about the changes in society. And I, I think one of the most shocking things I've heard in a while in terms of crime and people going about their daily business and, and being subject to threats and attacks is that dog wardens are starting to wear, from next week, dog wardens and animal welfare people are wearing body cams to protect themselves. And we'll come back to that over the course of the morning. But during the week, we were asking you about your... Your collectibles, the stuff that you keep, the stuff you collect. We'll lighten it up for a small because it's a dull, dreary old morning and there's a, a lot of bad news and sad news around. So we'll break it up for a little bit now and we'll have a bit of fun. And we were asking people during the week about the things you collect. Mugs, playing cards, beer mats, strange things you might collect. And we got a few beauties, actually. We did get a few beauties. I was telling you about the, uh, my missus and her collection of... Nutcrackers, Christmas nutcrackers. Um, the ones that are a foot, foot and a half tall and the one we have, which we call Captain Nutcracker, who is a metre. He's just under 
over three feet, maybe between three and four feet tall. And he stands sentry in the hall for the whole of Christmas. And the one thing we'd love to get her, she'd love to get if she could, is that one of these six foot ones that you get in a, in a shop. And she wants to stand him in the porch during Christmas. We've got about 40 nutcrackers in our house. I have mugs, I have boxes of mugs in the attic and I have, every so often I have to just take the mugs and put them away because I have so many. Remember I go, I pick up a mug and that's that's my collecting. But some stuff is, is mad. Like Lillian O'Donoghue hit the newspapers for her collection a couple of years ago. Lillian, Lillian of the Coca-Cola house. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you, girl? Well, I'm very good. You have two collections, and I'll I'll talk about the second one in a minute. But but the the, the you literally did make the newspapers about Coca Cola. When did you start collecting Coca Cola stuff? It all happened by chance, really. Um, in 1984, my friend Aileen and myself were going off on our first holiday abroad, so we picked Austria. Yeah. So we flew from Cork to Germany. And a bus picked us up and drove us over the border into Austria. And he had cans on the bus, so I picked up a can of Coke. And I said, my God, I'm drinking this between two countries. I'm going to keep that. Yeah. So then I said, do you know what? When I go to different countries now, I'll collect the Coke. But they're all different flavors, even though you mightn't think they are. Yeah. And I think it's the water myself. But then I was watching um, Come Dine With Me one day and there was this, they were in the kitchen and there was a big, huge Coca-Cola sign in the kitchen. Nothing else now but the Coca-Cola sign. And then I thought, I think I might do the kitchen up in (laughs) Coca-Cola. So we got the kitchen done up in Coca-Cola then. So then we started with the utility room. And the latest now, we had a tipples party there after Christmas. So I got a lovely mini bar. You had a what, Lillian? A tipples party. A tipple, what? A Christmas. Pause 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 the tape a second now. What is a tipples (laughs) party? Tipples are drinks. Nice. So everyone were coming uh, to the party not knowing what was about. So it was a mini bar then. I see. And little shelves up, so I have all the Coca-Cola glasses on one side of it, and the other side, then I have all the little Coca-Cola dinkies, dinkies? on display. So it looks... Oh, you yeah. little trucks. Co- yeah. I do, I do. They're brilliant. <laughs> so um, we have the utility done, and we have the kitchen. We have two bedrooms done. So... The mind is boggling now as to know what next. And, and like, how often so, do you pick something up? Well, I used to go to New York there, but since the pandemic, I haven't been back there yet. Nice. There's a shop there on Times Square called the Grand Slam, and I purchased a lot of things in there. They have a little section, and I think they have in the section then. But I was delighted then at Christmas time. Um, inside in Pennies, they had a huge collection. So I got on to my sister then. I said, get in fast and buy them. So in fairness, she did. Collection and, what? Uh, what had they? Oh, there was cushions. There was uh, blankets. Uh, there, oh, there was a jigsaw. 
there was a mug with a little can inside in it. Oh, there were fabulous All things and pennies. And do, do you know going. at this stage, so you, do, do you have any idea at this stage how many different pieces of memorabilia you actually have? Oh, I haven't a clue now. Mm. I don't, to be thousands, like, do you know? Glasses and mugs but, and, and, and oh, cans everything. and bottles. Yes, yes. But, and people then, if they go abroad, some people might approach me and say, don't drink the Coke out of the bottle. So I wouldn't then, I'd leave it full then. Do you know yeah, what I mean? I think. I think. And um, did you, did your husband at some stage start engraving the logo into your kitchen table? Is that true? You have the, logo, the, logo. You have, you have the logo all over the house, have you? No, no, no. He was after doing um, a sign oh, with Coca-Cola in wood. You know, it was a, a big sign. Oh, yeah, right. he did. I see. I see. And come here, is there yeah. one? Is there one item that you've picked up since that first trip in the bus? Have you one item that you'd yeah. never part with? But you see, I would never part with any of them. I know, but if I had to leave you with one. This is the, the, this God, is the desert, know, the desert Island Discs question. Lillian. One item, one favourite. Would it be that first can, maybe? Mm. I suppose, yeah, I still have that. <laughs> you still have that? I now. don't know. That's 40 years old. I do. It is. <laughs> yeah. Your other collection <laughs> is, is the one yeah. I've seen. I have never seen the Coca-Cola one. The one I've seen, your pirate radio collection. Oh, yes, I did. It was the 16th of August, 1978, was the first day I learned about pirate radio. Right. 1978. There was, um, in St. Luke's, there was a hairdresser called Bonnie and Clyde, and there was five DJs then opening the salon. And I, it was just two minutes away where I grew up, and I went down, and I just met them and took a photograph. And ever since then, well, up until about... 1985. Yeah. You know, I stopped then. Do you know? Yeah, but you have pictures but of I all of us. But I loved it. You have pictures of all of us and memorabilia of all of us. <laughs> I do. And I loved it. Every minute of every day. I When I was in school, I was bringing the small radio and went to um We'd a 15 minute break and I'd take out the radio and I'd listen to Mark Bell. He used to be on in the mornings. But uh, they were all very happy, happy moments down in the studio with the lads. What what was your favourite one of all the pirates? What what was your favourite one of all the stations? Your favourite photos? Your favourite piece? The most professional to me was South Coast. But I think CBC was that, that was the first one I knew about. That was the first big one, yeah. That was the and first I one. followed them. And then the two lads then, uh, Pete O'Neill and Dan Noonan, they oh, went off then the and set thing. up um, South Coast, That's or Radio the, City, sorry, Radio, Radio City. City. P- that Peter, was of course, is teaching place. radio now out in, out in Stefanefa. And Dan is um, Dan the man. Dan the man. He's, disco he's doing discos. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Disco yeah. 2000. Yeah. And you but they, a... they were all happy, happy days. A happy days. You know? Happy, happy crazy, yes. happy, crazy days. Lillian, good to catch up. And she will see you at some stage during the year. Lillian goes along anytime we have a little reunion of fellas from the old days. Uh, we've pints and memories and we figure out how we do this business better. Um, and 
Lillian comes along and she always has a picture or, or something that we've all forgotten. We go, oh my God, would you look at that? Not to mind the Coca-Cola. So can we can we beat that? She has thousands of pieces of different Coca-Cola memorabilia. 0818969696 and 0833969696. So we had a few people during the week had had other different collections uh, that they've had for, for donkey's years. Lewis Capaldi is ringing back fans in his own self-marketing. He's somebody who bought his latest single, which went to number one straight away. He's ringing them randomly. Yeah, some of them not going so great. No. Right, calling people who downloaded my new single to thank them. This is Lily. Hello, is this Lily? Yeah. Lily, who's your favourite singer? Oh, she hung up. That was, uh, obviously, it must be a cheer. Casey and Ross in the morning. You can now order your 231 electric Skoda Enyaq from No DC Cars. Skoda Sales Dealer of the Year. Exclusively Skoda in the city. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Eva says she has a collection of useless men. Okay. All right. Thanks, Eva. I collect interesting bus and train tickets, says Tony. Plane tickets, any kind of transport tickets, really, but mainly ones from places where I've actually been. And then when you go through them, you remember your trip, like your business or your holiday trips, and you trigger all sorts of of memories. You'd be surprised how it adds to the holiday to remember it like that. Christmas baubles, Maria says. I have a Christmas tree in my kitchen every year and I put baubles on it that I've collected from all over the world. I have about 30 of them. Uh, myself and my daughter love stones and unusual rocks. We have to keep ourselves under control though, says D. I can imagine that if you're in a nice place with a beach and stones and rocks. Imagine being in Lanzarote and wandering around and finding some of those lovely unusual volcanic stones that you find. <laughs> you'd, need to, you'd need to buy an extra bag and put it into the luggage compartment to bring it home. Shot glasses, says Jan. Shot glasses from all over. 
It's a lovely way to remember a trip. And people bring them back to me, too. Yeah. Seashells. A lot of people collect different seashells from all over the world. Lillian. Uh, hang on. Holy pictures, Lillian. Or holy holy statues. Statues. Hi, PJ. How are you? Brilliant, this is a, this is a great story here. Statues. Did you carry a statue home on the bus? I did. <laughs> a Calvary cross. Um, I suppose where it all happened is that my uncle Morris would have been the uh, sculptor who made all the moving statues in Ballinaspittle and if you go down to Mount Mallory and if you go around Ireland, all the Calvary sets on the mountains mm-hmm. and all the stations of the cross and most of the churches around the place. Well, that was your uncle. And he was a sculptor then, yeah? Yeah, Morris O'Donnell. He had a place there in um, in Paul Street where Tesco is and then he ended up in Coach Street. But actually, he's, he has passed. But do you know the way a connoisseur of art, you would have somebody who might get a painting and it would be a lot of money, but you might have many. I'd, I wouldn't have many statues, but I'd have, um, say, about five that he would have uh, sculptured throughout the years and he would give my, like, my mom had one, my sister I I had, but of course I have them all now. Yeah. But uh, going, going back to the one of the, the, the Calvary, or the cross, was I was inside with Jonathan, my son, inside in his workshop, and I think Jonathan was about 10, or about 10, and he was put. He had put the blood on the side of our Lord on the cross. And when we went in, um, oh, I remember Johnson saying, "That looks. Is that real blood?" You know, he was just fascinated <laughs> looking at us. And uh, I said, "I'd love that, my God." And he said, "Take it away." Which we had no car at the time. Do you know what I mean? Because, you know, I think I had buggies and stuff like that. So Tony probably dropped us in. So. Um, I said, do you know something? I will take it. There was nothing like that long ago. You know, you just, long ago, you just pick things up and you go away. Yeah. Whereas now, it would be a huge deal, you know, getting taxes and everything. So we were on the bus. It's about three foot to four foot high. <laughs> and the two of us were dragging it. <laughs> I can imagine the looks you were getting. <laughs> I like I sure like he I was in the front and he was in the back and we were carrying the cross. <laughs> and... Lillian, prayer books, rosary beads, all sorts. Like, are you a very religious person? Do you know something? I would have played now the organ in the church for years, like 12 until I was about 19 in Our Lady Crown Church. But, um, and I, you know, I am now, I can say, when you know, when you get to know yourself, I'd be extremely spiritual. But um, I must say that I do miss going to Mass, but I'm not a person like long ago if I missed because I thought I was going to hell. You know, that type yeah, of way. Yeah, yeah. But when you have children, you're up the walls. And uh, I had to stop actually going when Adam came along because Adam started singing in the middle of the church. <laughs> so, <laughs> But um, I'd be very spiritual always because something, and I did have an outer body experience when I was seven. You really can't, I don't really discuss it because, you know, people don't believe these things, do you know? Mm. But it was just an amazing experience that it would be very hard for you not to believe that there was something else there. I know, so, I know. So spiritually, I'd be huge, yeah. you know? And the, the prayer books I would have uh, kept through res- out of respect because they were my mother's and she used to go to the oratory thing that was up the, you know, on the North Chapel. They yes. Had, it's yes. like the Legion of Mary. So I've, I kept her stuff and 
you know, it's so weird every now and then you'd, I'd kind of open it and you'd open it as a page and it would just be the day that it would be just exactly what you're thinking about. Okay. Okay. But, you'd be inspired by it, like... Yeah, my sister is the one that collects uh, rosary beads no matter who dies, they ring her instead of going to a shop. Get a rosary <laughs> beads. And, and uh, china cups. Uh, come here, what, what don't you collect? China cups and clothes pegs, Lillian. Oh, I'm upset. I have two sets that I, I could be on all day, so I won't. It's a Tuscan China set and a Lady Hamilton. They're about 200 years old. The story behind those are unreal. They're, they're handed down by um, two elderly people, you know, so kind in Dublin. And then I have Ainsley, Royal Sutherland, Royal Stewart, Royal Classic, Hammersley, everything. And, you know, the tier three show that I do there, you know, just to motivate people. Yes, indeed I do. <laughs> Yeah, so I have a different, I look forward to it. I have a different China cup every day. Tis <laughs> <laughs> good. It's so much. And what's with the clothes pegs? The clothes pegs. A lady called, uh, she was like my She was like my second grandmother, Mrs. Lottie. Uh, when she used to mind us when we were small, when she was next door, I'd come home from school. And like Lego was for boys, I suppose. So I didn't see Lego in our house because it was all girls. But she used to make... Oh, she'd have me sit down and all the different colours, pegs. She'd, she, you know, we'd, we'd make all different things out of them. They wouldn't be the exact shape, but it might be a horse or a house or something. And I was fascinated that they had coloured pegs, but we had no, only wooden pegs. So from that on, like uh, you could bring in to me now, PJ, a bottle of perfume worth €200 Euro, or a packet of pegs worth €2. Euro, and I'd put the perfume there and I'd be running around the house with excitement over the pegs. <laughs> this is Tony. Tony has an easy life. Fairness. <laughs> Packing the clothes pegs for the birthday. She's happy house. <laughs> yeah. But it's fascinating how people, I think it goes back to, I think a collection goes back to, it's a, it's a memory connection, isn't it yeah. really? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, it's stuff that kind of, it might mean nothing to anybody, but to you it means something. And that's why you, that's why we hold on to stuff. Lillian, thanks. <laughs> Close pegs, prayer books, china cups, holy statues. And I don't know, can anyone beat that? She carried a holy statue, a holy cavalry cross with her boy, with her son. <laughs> they came home on the bus with a three-foot holy statue. Now, I remember the day that the Queen Bee arrived in our house with the three or four-foot nutcracker out of the back of the car. And I thought, that's crazy. But no, that, that, that beats it. That sure be. I have 300 teaspoons with the names of all the countries they came from, says Kathleen. That's gas. I'm looking for the weirdest one. Clothes pegs takes some beating. Like, why do you want to collect clothes pegs? I mean, what about, like, beer mats? My, my mother actually likes, um, likes playing cards. And I've picked up a few packets for her around the world when I've travelled. And I got into something... Well, not really as much into it as in as much as I'd like to be. Uh, I started, we got a fridge, we have a metal front fridge and I started getting the magnets. And, and it's a slight cause of consternation because we never thought we'd be fridge magnet people. But we are. 
<laughs> I have to, I have one fridge magnet from Tallinn in Estonia. I can't remember who was there. It might have been my sister. Someone I know was in Tallinn in Estonia and brought back a fridge magnet. I've one from Baltimore as well. Then it was a bit more sensible. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Now, Joe. Military vehicles. Hello, yes, Joe. Good, good morning, Peter. How are you? Military vehicles. I presume models of them. No, the the real thing, one to one scale. <laughs> what have you got? Well, I have um, various British World War Two motorcycles, matchless BSA, um, solo bikes, and some German World War Two motorcycle and sidecars. A um, couple of trucks, some Jeeps, Russian, American, the famous Willys Jeep that you'd see in the, the movies, one of those, a uh, German truck, and um, previously some armoured cars and armoured vehicles as well. Right. So there's an extensive collection of vehicles there and still collecting some civilian motorcycles, Indian, um, Kawasaki's, you know, f- some police bikes from the famous Chips. Series back in the seventies. Really? Yeah. Well, well, no. Where do you keep all this stuff? Oh God, that's the big headache, isn't it? It would be much easier if I was collecting just the models. I could keep them on the shelf. But um, I have a warehouse and some containers, and um, friends help out with some storage at times as well. You know, as the collection comes and goes, bits and pieces. New pieces come and old pieces get sold off or whatever. You know. And what's your background that gave you all this fascination? I suppose, um, like your last caller said there, I think she hit the nail in the head. She said about memory connection, you know. Mm. Um, I suppose from I, an early age as a young film, um, watching the, the Great Escape with Steve McQueen on that motorcycle, yeah. I always wanted to get a Green Army motorcycle. And that, that film was, I suppose, a trigger connection for me, you know. And I did. I got my first bike at about 19 or 20. It was an old World War Two matchless 350 and I got it from a famous man in, in, in Cork at the time Tommy Foley God rest him mm. he had it and Tommy had been a great collector of bikes and near the end of Tommy's life um, he had disassembled the matchless into boxes mm. and um, I had bought it off him shortly before his death and went about I knew nothing about them mm. had a friend uh, a chap by the name Dave Casey he helped me reassemble it and we restored it ultimately, and um, I'm still riding that bike, and I, I'm in my 50s now. So that was it for me. That was the green army motorcycle, uh, like Steve McQueen, wow. and um, that started it really for me, you know. So, and that's a great picture. I know, I know loads of people have seen that movie, and it, that's, yeah. it's a classic motorbike. Like it's a, it, it is, and you know... Um, it's cost you thousands was, over the years. Um, it has, yeah. The, the, well, the way things have gone lately, I suppose, with price increases on anything at all to do with uh, military vehicles or collections or uniforms or equipment, um, it just seemed to just got crazy in the last few years. Mm. Back in the 90s and late 80s when I started, it, it was nickel and dime stuff. You know, mm. you'd see them advertised there pre-internet days in the magazines. You'd yeah. write off, find out the price of the bike and, you know... You're talking maybe thousand pounds at the time, or yeah. eight hundred pounds, and those vehicles now have gone um, exponentially crazy. Money. Yeah. You, you have a couple you know. of real rarities in there. From I have, I have the German ones, I suppose. Yeah, the forties ones. There's a BMW R seventy five 
uh, German Army sidecar, like you see in the films, yeah. the comics, the old Warlord comics, and Victor and those again, they were all, uh, I suppose, what would you call them, head wreckers, <laughs> growing up, seeing all these things, and um, yearning for them and saying, someday I'm going to get one of those, or someday I'll pick this up. And I have one of those, a German 1944. Uh, BMW and I have a Zundap sidecar also, another famous German. Fabulous. And you have an Indian chief, what's that? Yeah, it's 1947 Indian chief. Um, again, it's like evocative, something like, I, I dare to say it, but um, like an early Harley, Harley in Indian would have been the great rivals back in the 20s, 30s and 40s. Okay. Okay. And unfortunately Indian um, collapsed. And Harley became the brand that's probably more known these days. But Indian is a very rare but motorcycle. And I picked that bike up in um, England. Wow. And, and does it go? Years ago. Oh, she's, I ride it all over the place. We take it all over. You so keep all, the, all the bikes are... All the bikes are um, are um, working order. fully functional. I was wondering. And they do get used. Yeah, yeah. oh God, yeah. No, I never let them of... sit there just to look at it. They're, they're well used, all of them. Mar- Morris Miners. <laughs> yeah, I have two Morris Miners, a, um, a four door and a, a 1962 four door and a 1968 two door. Do you know what was a beauty? And there's a few of them around. There's one of them I've seen it. Um, it it's it's the, the van version with the with the doors at the back. Yeah, my my brother actually had one of those many years ago when we were much younger lads. I always had a Morris Minor. I they drove were, they a Morris gorgeous, Minor. They were gorgeous vehicles. They were yeah, absolutely yeah. gorgeous yokes. And still are lovely to drive, you know, in are this they? modern day. and Yeah, even in present day traffic and situations yeah. around the city. Does, does anybody ever take one of these things and hollow it out and say put in a modern engine to them? Or, is, or yeah. will that spoil it? That would spoil it. I've seen it done. A couple of fellas did it back there in the 90s and what have you with Nissan micro-engines and five-speed gearbox but it's really not the same you know yeah, I think you lose that um, enjoyment of driving that old yeah. moggy with the smell of petrol and yeah. <laughs> come here how do you fund all this? this? Um, to be fair I've when I restored any of the vehicles from day one um, we restored them well and they've stood the test of time uh, occasionally you get the odd call for um would you bring one for a film hire or a small TV series they might be making? They want a Morris Minor or they want a bike to drive down the road or whatever, whatever. So anything like that is helpful, you know. Yeah. Were you up in the North Cathedral recently, were you? No, I was in County Clare, actually. We were uh, working on some of that film that they did in the North Cathedral, you know, God's... God's Spy? Spy. Oh, yeah. right, yeah, yeah, because I was wondering what that was, and then I was reading about it, and it's a big, big production. So you were in County Clare for location work on that? Yeah, we were on a location up oh, there. What had you there? What had you brought for them? Um, we had the motorcycle and sidecar there, and they had brought in some German trucks and some Cooper wagon, and other vehicle, a big bus from Germany for us as well. Brilliant. You know, so a huge production. I was kind of taken aback by it. Initially, I thought it was just one of these ordinary little productions for the small screen but no this is quite a big production oh, yeah. and yeah. basically had no expense in uh, in bringing vehicles and, and props from all over you know? oh I've seen I've seen that place I was on my holidays in in, in 2020 up in, in County Antrim there was filming going on there at the time like they don't spare the horses on these things they just no don't, they don't uh, no. so, so uh, the same question as I put to um, to Lillian the Coca-Cola lady uh, if you had one item one piece that you could never give away? 
I'd say, PJ, oh, God, how mm. do you get rid of your favourite, one of your favourite kids? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd say it would have to be the German Army sidecar. I've had it now many years. I have 68,000 kilometres done on it. Right. And I'd be torn between that and the Indian, but definitely, I suppose, as bikes go, she'd be the one that I, I'd, I'd could never pack it, you know. All right, fascinating. And do you ever put them all on display? I did. We do a couple of charity events there every year, and we did a big one the last year for the Tipperary um, Festival, and we just got together a group of lads, and they all helped out. Oh, let me um, know if you've one coming up this summer in County Cork. I'd love to see it. We hopefully will be doing the Cork Military Show um, in August out in the Cork Showgrounds, Martin... Macri runs that there every year and we're hoping to get some of the vehicles down there this year. That'd for be, sure, for sure. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. And maybe maybe we'll talk then. Thanks ever so much. Yeah. That, that's okay, PJ. Joe, cheers. Joe Tool. What a collection. What a collection. 0818. So there you go. When you see this film now, um, God's Spy, when it comes out, there's that motorcycle and sidecar. Uh, you Not only was it filmed in County Clare, but it was a cartman who gave them the motorbike and sidecar. Joe, and remember, remember where you heard him on the opinion line. Are you ready? Cork's 96FM loves Irish music. As part of Irish Music Month, this March on Independent Radio across Ireland, we want you to take part in our local hero talent surge. If you're in a band or solo artist, you could be featured live on Cork's 96FM. It's your chance to win an overall €10,000 prize fund. Get your record released and have your music played on 25 independent radio stations across Ireland. For full details, see 96FM.ie. Irish Music Month, this March. Proudly supported by Hot Press, IBI and the BAI Sound and Vision Fund on Cork's 96FM. Well, there's some breaking news coming in on the industrial front. Global industrial news. Google has announced it is laying off 12,000 people around the world. Now, I'm not entirely certain what size their workforce is in Ireland or how it will affect them, but they do have a, a decent-sized workforce here. So, I've no doubt, with no news on that, 6% of their workforce globally are what they're laying off. So, if you had 6% of the Irish workforce, that'd be a sizable number because they've got... They've got quite a big workforce here in Ireland. No news yet on how it'll impact us, but that's just been announced by Google. 12,000 people, 6% of their global workforce being laid off. Bad news, unfortunately. 0818 96 96 96. Two collections and strange collections. Nick, what what is that thing? You sent us a photograph. Kade Shin, good morning. Hello, Nick. Hello, hello, PJ. How are you? What is that thing? It's an egg coddler. An egg coddler. I've, yeah. I, I love I love my eggs, but I've never heard of a coddler. No, you break your egg into it, add your seasonings or whatnot, and put in a pot of boiling water. And it, it's like um, poaching the egg. Oh, oh, it's an egg. Oh, it's like a poacher. Okay, great, great. I'm very fond of a poached egg. And that's a very decorative little one you've sent us a picture of there. Yeah, we've got about 50 of them. 50 of them? Yeah, um, some with flowers, some with um, ducks and all sorts of things. Right, and where do you pick them up? These days you normally only find them in antique type shops, curio shops, that kind right. of thing. Right, and how would, you, you, how would you... I, have you, you yeah, sorry, you've, go on. Yeah, I don't even know if they're still made anymore. 
Yeah. How would you use one? Um, you get your pan of boiling water. Right. Break your egg into the codler, put the lid back on, and drop it into the water. Okay, and it poaches the egg? Yeah, it cooks for about five minutes. Crikey. I use little sil—I use little silicone bags to poach my eggs. That's <laughs> that's a lot nicer. That's a lovely. I've yeah. never seen the like of that in my life. Yeah, and you get them in different sizes. That's a small one. You get right. bigger ones, which take two eggs. Right. So you got about fifty of them. Yeah. <laughs> Nick, thank you. That's the new. I never even heard of a thing called an egg coddler in my life. But then again, I do like my poached eggs. I've gotten very into poached eggs, actually. I don't know why. Um, but I do. I, my favourite breakfast now at the weekends is, is poached eggs on toast. Love it. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. I've lost my page there now, guys. Oh, here we are. Uh, yeah, a couple more of your... Kate says the cyclists, especially the competitive ones, they make collections of rocks from the mountains of Europe. They put them in their back pocket and then put them in a box with a date on it. Really? It's kind of a motivation to go back and do better. I started to bring my daughter, this is Podrick, I started to bring my daughter to Cork City Games this past season uh, when they won the league and we collected all the tickets and all the match programmes and then she'd take the poster from the programme every Friday and stick it on her wall. Now her wall is plastered with Cork City players. Thanks, Podrick. A few more of your dogs ones from earlier. Kira has a great idea about getting dogs assessed yearly. What happens if something, and it was an incident, and the dog had been then assessed previously as safe? There'd be no trust in the assessment system. There'd be uproar. And Laurie, you're right, there'd probably be lawsuits. I also agree the country is not what it used to be. This comes from Vincent Cashman, who I was talking to earlier on from the Cork Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. And he told me that from Monday certain members of their staff will wear body cams in the course of their work. And he told me that animal welfare people have been threatened with shotguns, hurleys. One man recently who asked a guy to pick up the dirt, pick up his dog's poo off the pavement was told that the poo would get kicked into his face if he didn't F off. So they're going to start wearing body cams. Uh, you, uh, that on top of bus drivers and guards and paramedics being being attacked, you wonder, like, what's next? Postmen? Do you know? Is anybody safe? What has happened? How are we so broken as a society? PJ, don't say my name on air, but it's my generation acting like this. They're the scum of the earth. These people aren't being raised, they're being dragged up. I'm sorry, but it's true. I'm 25. I have my own home and a partner, and we're trying our best to raise a child. It's a shambles from top to bottom. And we get more details, obviously, on that Google announcement in the news bulletins. Not entirely sure how many workers they have in this country, but their parent company, which is called Alphabet, have announced this morning 6% cut in global workforce, which is around 12,000 people around the world. So unfortunately, some people facing the news Probably, we don't know for sure, but it looks like if it's 6%, then you know yourself. 0818 96, 96, 96. On a much smaller scale, but, you know, anybody losing their job or losing hours or losing shifts in the middle of a cost of living crisis is hard. See where the Reardon's group uh, that have Reardon's and the Oliver Plunkett, 
34 of their workers, and this is according to Cork Bio, about 34 of their workers, mostly kitchen staff, have been told that their hours and their shifts have been cut and there's no work for them until things get busier again. I, I remember hearing dire predictions that spring 2023 would be very, very hard. And it does look like it's starting to come true. The minds are live. Hello. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. Coach 96FM. Yeah, there's uh, about 4,000-something staff working for Google in this country, the approximate number 4,214. If that 6% were to apply here, it would be 250 workers. And Google are well-paid jobs. They're considered a very good employer. You see where, is it Mr. Zuckerberg is the gaffer still? You never know, these things change all the time. He said that they over-employed, as it were, in the last few years. And he's not the first one to say that in this whole tech slowdown that we seem to have. They said people took on thousands of jobs created during the pandemic because so much was being done from home and so much technology was needed in a short space of time. And now the world is kind of going back to some kind of normal. The technology is in place. We don't need all these people anymore, which is unfortunate. So that's the the, the more news on, on Google. As we get it. Kate was going back to yesterday when Argos announced they're pulling out of Ireland completely. There's a few articles in the newspapers about why that is. Uh, Kate says, I think a lot of companies are having trouble getting stock in from the UK because of Brexit. That may have helped Argos to make its decision. It could affect other companies too. And not just UK multiples here because there's a lot of Irish-owned companies sourcing their stuff in the UK. 0818 96 96 96. I'll come back to that and more. Did you see as well, chatting to Vincent Cashman, referring back to the Vincent Cashman chat, which we will put up as a podcast, by the way, later on, uh, about people being attacked in the course of their work. Dog wardens and, and dog animal welfare staff from next week will wear body cams to protect themselves because people going out on animal welfare duties have had shotguns pulled on them, hurleys swung at them a guy who was asked to pick up his dog's poo off the pavement said he would throw it into the inspector's face and then last night, was it last night this happened down at Fomoy? Yes it was a guardian Fomoy investigating an assault on a member of the guards on Oliver Plunkett Hill in Fromoy at about 6 o'clock. He didn't need any medical treatment. Arrests have been made. It was... Now, this was a video of one of these anti-refugee protesters getting aggressive with the guard, aggressively questioning the guard, and then someone appears to have struck the guard in the face. There have been a number of protests in Fromoy over the last couple of weeks uh, following the arrival of some international protection applicants uh, they're staying in a in a convent yeah some very unpleasant elements out there at the moment 
0818969696. Come back to happier things and fun things because it happens to be Friday. Uh, collections, strange collections. We were talking all morning but people are collecting odd and different things. Ian Dowling is the owner of rareirishstuff.com. It's about the biggest source of Irish memorabilia online. Ian, morning to you. Morning, PJ. Good to chat with you again. How are you? Uh, good to chat with you again, sir. Great to have you on. People will collect pretty much anything. H- how did you get started? Oh, I mean, well, the thing about, I, I guess I got started, I got cut, the bull caught me about buying for buying and selling. Um, I got started by in a, a church fair back in, when I was around 10 or 11, and I there, there was a baby monitor for sale, um, which was fairly new tech at the time, um, in the early 90s. And uh, it was boxed and in uh, unused, and um, I asked an old lady who was manning the table how much it was, and she said she, I could have it for 50p. So I, I had 50p, I bought it, and my, my, my folks were always kind of interested in, you know, flea markets and car boots and stuff, just kind of as a hobby at the weekends. And the, the Buy and Sell magazine, if you remember that, was always in the house. So I checked the Buy and Sell magazine under baby equipment, and they were going for about 25 to 30 quid. So I popped the, the baby monitor into the magazine, and a young couple came along and snapped it up. And I've just been... I've been chasing that buzz ever since, and so <laughs> I've been... That's how I got into the trade. So, yeah. And, and the, so, uh, the website came later. So, do you have an enormous collection yourself, or do you just buy and sell at this stage? I'm more, I'm more kind of I buy and sell, and I, I work with collectors all the time because I mean, you know, that's where often you get. Um, no, I, I guess if I was to define myself as a collector in any way, it would be Irish history related. Um, you know, particularly kind of period of history of War of Independence, 1916. That would be probably my favorite kind of. Uh, if I was to collect items, it would be from that period of history. Um, but outside of that, I really just I just trade. And as I say, I've just kind of chasing the buzz that I got at 10 11 with that baby monitor ever since, really, you know. A lot of people <laughs> I've been talking to wouldn't part with their collections for love and their money. But what if they did? How do they start? Well, there's a number of ways. I mean, you know, you could check out the, the internet's brilliant, obviously, for for kind of getting an idea of value these days. Like an online marketplace like eBay is a, it's just a great way to kind of check and see, you know, what kind of similar items are selling for. So that would be, you know, for vinyl and books and stamps and coins, things like that. eBay is absolutely fantastic, and it's a great way to 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 put your item up on the market. Um, it's a worldwide marketplace, obviously. So, um, particularly smaller bits. If you're selling from Ireland, you know you could sell it to the other side of the world um, for kind of a low shipping cost. So, but as a point of reference, eBay would be a great one for for that type of stuff. Um, I mean, for larger stuff, uh, auction houses is a great way for to kind of get an appraisal on on your items. Um, so you can. It's a great way to kind of quickly sell directly to collectors on the trade yeah. to the highest bidder. So there's usually a charge of around 10 to 15% of the hammer price to the auctioneer when you go down that route. But it's it's well worth it because, yeah. you know, they connect buyers and sellers. And um, as I say, you're kind of you're you're kind of dealing directly with collectors on the trade there. So um, antique dealers, another great way to kind of get an idea of value and, um, you know, to sell some bits if you if you if you're a collector and you've kind of you're almost moving into the hoard, hoarder territory and, and you want to offload a bit of stuff your local antique dealer is a, a great place to start. There's a database of antique dealers on the IADI, IADA, sorry, website, mm. the Irish Antique Dealers Association. So you can kind of check 
uh, get a list of dealers in your area there. But there's also many, you know, great, you know, antique dealers that are around the country not registered with yeah. the IADA who are also brilliant to deal with. So you can kind of just check with your local dealer right. and, um, and and kind of get an idea of value there, you know. A lot of collections are of fairly innocuous things, uh, like mugs or playing cards or beer mats or anything like that. But mm. have you ever come across someone who's who's sitting on a piece of memorabilia that's worth an absolute fortune and they don't know? Well, yeah, I mean, um, I mean, because of my, like that period of history, the War of Independence yeah. in 1916, you, you kind of meet people in, in you know, um, who have stuff like uh, from, from that era who would, yeah, I mean, kind of, um, but now I have to say though, a lot of people are pretty, pretty sus with when it comes to prices and the value of stuff nowadays, you know, because the internet is just to get a great point of reference. But um, yeah, I mean, look, it does, does happen, but when you're a dealer and you're, when you're buying stuff from people, you can't really hug with people either. So, I mean, the last really fantastic piece that I got was actually um, a four page letter from Eamon de Valera. I bought this about two months ago. It was, um, yeah, a four-page letter from Eamon de Valera um, on presidential paper to uh, Ina Connolly, um, James Connolly's James Connolly's daughter, okay. where he kind of uh, writes about his admiration for James, and um, it's really quite touching and kind of historically important. And that was in a writing desk for forty years. The guy I bought it from, he um, his his father had it and along with other stuff and he didn't really know much about the value of it so it's a beautiful um, document to get your hands on oh amazing like i got i I mean i got goosebumps when i first saw it and i'm even kind of getting goosebumps now talking about it it's really amazing i mean and uh so i'm not sure what i'm going to do with that just yet a handwritten letter from eamon de valera yeah no it's actually typed but it's on presidential paper and it's hand signed but it was typed up um by his secretary, but um, but it's uh, yeah, but it's it's a very personal account of his interactions with James Connolly, and I think it's actually quite historically important because I could, there's nothing else, there's no account out there like it. So that's the type of thing that really kind of gets me up in the morning, gets me out and about mm. because I'm always looking for stuff like that. And as I say, going right back to that baby monitor, like it's the same buzz that I'm always chasing, and I got the same buzz out of acquiring that that letter yeah. that I did all those years ago, and and and. That, yeah, that's why I love what I do. It's a separate tangent to the conversation now, but is that something, Ian, that the authorities of the state could come to you and say, "Well, that's for the National Museum, buddy"? Well, no, because it was a, it was it was it was sent to uh, Ina Connolly. So it, what happened was Ina Connolly had asked Amy De Valera uh, for an account of his interactions with her father because she was working on a book, and um, so he sent that to her. And so it was private, privately owned, and uh, then it made its way back out into the kind of second-hand market. So, and it was um, just in yes, this writing desk. Yeah, it was in this writing desk along with a few other bits, but that was the historically important piece of the lot. And um, yeah, so it's I have it up on my Instagram there. It's really incredible. So that's that's, um, that's the new baby monitor, is it? Well, that's the one. That's the last time I got that buzz that I got when all those years ago from the baby monitor. Yeah, and as I say, like that's I'm chasing that buzz every week. Um, and you know, maybe I might hit the mother load someday, like Del Boy with a stopwatch, and I'll, I'll retire. But for the time being, I'm going to keep on going. You know. All right. Listen, rareirishstuff.com is the website. It's a fascinating. Look, a fascinating bros. Ian Dowling. Thank you. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. That's a fabulous thing to find. A letter.
typed on presidential headed paper, hand signed by Eamon de Valera to to um, Ina Connolly. Wow. Wow. 0818969696. And there's a thing for other collectors. Have you ever found something that you you know you you collect the most innocuous of things, but have you ever found something? Like have you ever I meant should be asking Lillian here has all the Coke bottles. Did she ever come across a Coke bottle with a note in it? Or did you ever buy a collection? Did you ever, if you collect books, did you ever open a book? I know this happened to me years ago. Did you ever open a book and find a note in it? You might have bought it in a second-hand shop, or as I do every year before I go to my holidays, I, I raid all the charity shops and I might spend 30, 40 quid on books. And you know, two euros here, three euros there. You open it. I, I found a prescription in a book I bought. The book was from the 90s. It was a, a old horror book I'd been, or a horror mystery crime book I'd been after for a while. And I found a copy of it. This is a few years back now, from the 90s. Cost me four quid in a, in a bookshop. And in the, in the end of it was a doctor's prescription for penicillin. Just those little strange things that you find in in books or in anywhere you'd be collecting. Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96 FM. Hi, it's Elmarie. Join myself and Connor every Sunday morning to find out what's happening in the arts all over Cork. There's so much happening. Fantastic festivals with great events for all ages. And we'll tell you all about them. The Arts House. Sunday mornings, 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes. Planted, picked and produced in Cork. Griffin's Potatoes. The great taste of home. Cork. 96 FM. See, the Central Statistics Office has just issued a, a statistic this morning on electricity prices. And you wonder where they're getting their averages from. It says wholesale electricity prices increased by 10.4% in the 12 months to December 2022. 10.4% wholesale. The cost of the electricity coming out of the wall into your kettle went up an awful lot more, but that's the CSO figure that's just come out. Actually, there's a thing. The bills are dropping now. Gas bills are dropping at the moment. We got ours during the week for the December into January period. Um, November, December and, and January. And my God, it's hefty. It is hefty. Uh, it's it's not as big as I thought it might be, given the cold weather that we had and the fact that we were all sick in the house over Christmas, so the heat was on nearly all the time. But it's hefty. Some very hefty gas bills dropping. Uh, and you see, you get the 200 credit for the lecky, which which takes a little bit of the sting out of it. But the gas, whoa. 0818 Right, back to collections. D. Socks, of all things. Morning. <laughs> Morning, PJ. <laughs> well, when you're the youngest of four girls... You got all the hand-me-down socks. Right, right. And then they wouldn't stay up, so my mom used to put an elastic band and turn the tops down. So by, cut the legs off you, wouldn't it? I know, by the time you got home from school, we had a big ring, ring around the top of your leg. <laughs> These tall, the tall socks, though, they were up, the, up, yes, up to the calves. knee socks. Knee, knee socks, socks yeah. Right. <laughs> so you'd get the hand-me-downs and the elastic is gone. Then your mother put elastic into them. She put the elastic band around it and turned the tops down. Poor Dee had no circulation in the lower part of her legs. <laughs> so I had a fetish for socks all of my socks. That's not what you collected though, is it? 
Oh yeah, collect socks. I know, but you not the ones, not the old ones that you grew oh, no, up no, in. Oh no, 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 new ones. I'd have like Christmas socks. I'd have Halloween socks. I have uh, Valentine socks. And then there was a gang was going out one weekend, and I bought us all a pair of socks. I said, "Girls, girls on a night out." Socks. <laughs> but they're inside your shoes, woman. I know, it doesn't matter though. But then you get a kick out of showing them off. <laughs> oh God, I'm getting a picture here now, dear. Deirdre, that I'm coming into the weekend, right, when I might yeah. sit down with a glass of wine tonight and put my feet up, and I'm getting a, I'm, I'm getting a, a vision into my head that I can't unsee of a, a number of women with, with maybe a few medicinal tinctures taken with their socks up their on socks. the table in the pub. Look at my socks! <laughs> the, big, the big feet, all, all in the same pink socks! Oh, PJ! <laughs> <laughs> Just think about Can you unsee that picture? I had about 150 pairs and my sister came round. I had a bad back one time. She was helping me clean my bedroom and she threw a load of them out on me. Ah, why did I, she do that now? I don't know. I regret it. Even if they had a hole in the toe, I'd still keep them. I know. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I had socks for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Right. <laughs> I got, I got, I got Percy pig, I got Percy pig zogs for Christmas. I don't know whether you count them as you. <laughs> no, I used to get them in pennies. I used to do them, but I don't think they do them anymore. Yeah, yeah. You get them for every occasion. <laughs> and do you have ones that you never wear and just collect, or do you wear them all? Oh yeah, there's ones in my drawer that I've never worn that just bought them for the sake of buying them because they were cute. <laughs> do you display them? <laughs> <laughs> no, there is a drawer in my bedroom, <laughs> and nobody goes in my bedroom except me and the dog. <laughs> I have visions, I have visions of someone walking in. You're creating pictures in my head here, Dee, which is laughable. I'm so sorry. You're all right. I have pictures of walking into Dee's room, right, and there's all these pairs of socks pinned to the wall. <laughs> no, 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 no. They're in a drawer. <laughs> That's my private collection. <laughs> and come here, restaurant receipts. Yeah, whenever we went on holidays, I'd always take the menu and the receipt from the hotel, from the restaurant and bring it home. The menu? <laughs> yeah, because usually in the Spanish holiday places, you know, they're always throwaway menus. Oh, like yes, on, the, yes. On your face, Matt, now the menu might be on it, and I'd always bring them home. <laughs> All right, the place. But no, I, I'm, I'm thinking of the laminated menus that are in the middle of the oh, table. No, you haven't no, got to no, run no. them, have you? No, a lot. No, I didn't rob any of them. It was always like if it was on a piece of paper, like you know, printed, or if it was on your place mat. Right. I'd always take them, right. and I'd always keep the receipts. And I don't know why. Yeah, that's that's the show we've been ripped off at home. I know that's what that I used to do that myself. That's no, true. I know. I didn't think of that. No, just the the cocktail menus in the middle of the table. I thought you were going robbing them in the handbag. Oh no, no, I wouldn't be that bold. No, at all. Well, well, well Queen, 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 Queen B did that one time. Really. Queen Bee did that one time, yeah. Oh. And the thing is, if you go back, we're going on holidays now in the summer, and if you go back to the bar. Oh, <laughs> well, you deny it yourself. Well, of course. Actually, it's ten, years since, it's 10 years since they saw it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Mind you, I tell you, we were out one night on holidays a few years ago. There was two, two families, three families, actually, and we all knew each other and were friends. Where we met up on holidays to watch a match. Uh, it was a Cork Limerick match, and we we, we we did what the Irish do, Dee. We took over the pub. Of course. And the, we were there until well after the match. And the following morning, we have no idea how all them Sagria jugs ended up back in the apartment. <laughs> 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 You're terrible. True, no, though. Somebody, 
somebody's no, they appeared. You didn't take them. <laughs> I'm sure in um, what we did in Amsterdam. What's you do in Amsterdam? There was a band playing, right? And we were all singing along to it. And the next thing we saw, the barman going over talking to the band and they stopped. And he came down with um, six shots to us and put them on the table and said, please, ladies, please keep singing. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you told the band to stop and you told us to sing. <laughs> singing for your shots, huh? <laughs> Between shots and socks, Dee, I tell you. I'm telling you. <laughs> keep, keep, keep the shots. Ask I the will. band to dig off their socks so I can take them. <laughs> Go on, it's been a good Go laugh. On. Thanks, Thanks Dee. Take care. Bye-bye, bye-bye. 0818 96, 96, 96. Socks, receipts and cocktail menus. Yes, herself. It's a wonderful pub. If you know it, you know it. Uh, if you've been to Lanzarote, uh, down there on the seafront between Playa Paseos and the main town of First del Carmen, there is a beautiful cocktail bar called La Ola. You'll know, if you know it, you know it. It's down there on the front. It's got a swimming pool inside in the bar and sunbeds looking out to see. It's a gorgeous place. There is a cocktail menu in Coogan Towers from La Ola. And every time we were back there, she used to walk, kind of sneak down behind the walls and say, hope they won't catch me for the cocktail menu. 0818-969696. Had an email, I think it was an email anyway, during the week, about speeding. And like what happens when we're very busy in terms of correspondence, I put it to the bottom of my pile, and now I've just come across it and read it again. And I'm wondering, will I do it now, or will I hold on to it until Monday? Because tis going to poke a few bears, put it that way. It's about the laws on speeding and whether we need to tighten them up and enforce them more. Remember, Conor Faulkner was on with me, a travel journalist during the week, motoring journalist, and he was saying that the biggest, and statistically it's true, the biggest killer on the road is speed, and that we need to enforce the laws more and all of that. You want me to read it now? Okay, we'll read it now. No, we do not need more laws says this email. What most of you forget is the road isn't full of people doing 200 kilometres an hour down a school road. Most of these people who've been caught for speeding have been caught doing 106 kilometres in a 100 zone. I'd love to know what's so dangerous about driving a few kilometres over the limit in zones like 100 and 120. The laws are far too strict and all it leads to is relatively innocent people's lives getting destroyed because they've been taken off the road for months. Or worse, locked up. Maybe a conviction in your name. All for what? Going over the limit by a few kilometres that really make no damn difference on most of the roads that these bullies decide to set up their vans on. It's a joke. It's just a system to drain us of every penny we have. I've gotten ticketed for going a few kilometres over the limit the most unfair thing ever. I was on a long drive, and unless I'm constantly looking at the speed, then there'll be moments when I go over the limit and under the limit naturally. And for the guards to give you zero leeway on any situation anymore is the biggest problem we have with those unprintable words starting with P. (sighs) Yeah. Now, speed vans will crop up anywhere. And I don't know, there used to be a thing where you had about 3% either way. Was it 3%? So, 
or was it was it just the one percent? Like in the sick in a in a hundred kilometer zone, three percent of that is three to up to one hundred and three, something like that. But but this email seems to think there's no leeway at all. He says someone's been caught doing a hundred and six in a hundred, and they get three penalty points and a fine for that. And if you're caught more than a couple of times in the year, then you know the rest. But what would, how would you feel about that? Going over the limit by a few kilometres, it really makes no damn difference on most of the roads that these bullies decide to set up their speed vans on. It's a joke and just a system used to drain us of every penny we have. Your thoughts, please. 0818969696. Happy to hold it over into Monday as well if we don't get to your your thoughts today. But that's um I just found it. I was going through my car and said, Oh crikey, you must read that one. Uh. I wake up every morning. Get even more of Casey and Ross in the morning on the highlight show. Your chance to catch up and listen again. Saturday between nine and ten AM. On Cork's 96FM. Coming back briefly to dogs, and then I want to return to something that was on the programme yesterday. Uh, Juliana was on about dogs, and she said, the first thing is you don't leave any dog around a child or baby unsupervised. And this should be mentioned more than once. I think this message was for Vincent Cashman. If the dog isn't yours from a puppy, then you never truly know what the dog is or has gone through. I find lots of dogs can just snap, but that's not a good enough reason to put them to sleep. If a dog is vicious, it's a different story. I've had a dog that bit everyone but me, but I found the dog on the street years ago and saved him from the flooding in the city. Had to give him a vet to a vet in the end because I didn't know him or trust him. Simple as. A new puppy is the best way to go for a family. A rescue is for someone living alone or a couple with no kids. I just can't trust a dog I can't raise. And do you remember the suggestion we had from Kira that dogs should be assessed uh, frequently to see whether they are a threat or a danger or anything like that? We had a, a voice message in on that, which I can just load up in the machine here. Oh, it's going to play for me. Let's see. Hi, I'd be interested to know there if it is possible to assess a dog for his temperament. Like, how would it be done? Maybe PJ could ask that on the air and somebody could, an expert maybe could come back and tell him. It's certainly an interesting idea. And if it was made mandatory for certain breeds, even, I suppose, it would maybe put people's mind at ease. But is it actually possible to do it in a reliable way? That's something we might look at. Thank you for that voice message, Phil. Of course, your voice message is welcome always at 083 396 96 96. Just another way to join the conversation. Yesterday, we were talking about heroin injection centres, drug injection centres. Kira contacted us to make the case for drug injection centres. It's a long-standing, long-running debate as to whether we, A, should have one in Cork, and if we, B, have one in Cork, then where should we put it? Kira is studying. She's done a psychology degree, and she's now studying for a master's in, in psychedelic drugs and their effects. As she said herself, she's looking for a master's in tripping. But we had a fun conversation with a very serious message to it, and she was talking about how important it would be for Cork to have one of these centres. These centres 
centres have been really successful all over the world, like primarily Australia. There's examples in Europe, uh, Canada, the United States has also been, you know, creating these facilities. And in these facilities, there have been no recorded overdose deaths, not one, because people are supervised. They're in a safe environment. You know, they have access to clean needles. Uh, they can dispose of the needles safely. This reduces the risk of children finding these needles, you know, on yeah. the street and things like that. The other yeah. question that would come up, and I'm sure someone will, will, will either text or, or message and say, well, Kira, would you have one of these centres across the road from your house? Where are we going to put them? Actually, um, you know, an analogy which I love, comparison I'll make, which is... Um, I actually live very close to a pub, which is a safe consumption site, but for alcohol, which is, you know, a psychoactive substance. It's legal. However, it's the most harmful substance one can use. Now that uh, rather annoyed Mossy, who contacted me about centres. Uh... I made a submission to the city development plan that while the council are redeveloping the Victorian Quarter, that they can slip in one of these injection centres mm. and I can guarantee you something, PJ, you know as well as I do that the business owners in, in McCotton Street won't tolerate that for one minute. Mm. It wouldn't be accepted. So, mm. like, why should people like me accept it outside my front door then if it was to go outside my front door? Well, Kira's point in response to that is that, look, she lives very near a pub and a pub is a place where we, we legally buy a drug. A substance, a mind, a, a psychoactive substance, which alcohol is. We buy it legally over the counter and we socialise around it. Yeah, but are, are, you, are you seriously comparing heroin to alcohol? I'm not. That's the point yeah. she was making. I'm not. I'm not yeah. making the comparison. I'm just saying. Well, but but the one thing is true, Mossy. They are both drugs. One is regulated. One is not. That's a ridiculous argument to make. Drugs are a lot more severe than alcohol, PJ. A lot more severe. Oh, I think you'd probably find that there's more alcohol well, issues well, behind closed doors in Ireland, Mossy, than there are drug issues. Well, I know I, I, I'd agree with you there, but 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 heroin, PJ, heroin is a, is a, is a deadly it deadly is. drug. So that was that, and then Kira got back on, and we didn't have time to read this out before we packed up yesterday. Just responding, uh, I put it to Mossy that alcohol and heroin are comparable, as they're the two sus- substances most close in regards to harm to self and to others. Remember, she studies this stuff. Alcohol is more dangerous. A man called David Nutt did a study on this in 2009. I'd recommend reading it. Also, to another text that came in about a colleague using heroin, I have a friend who is a non-addicted heroin user too. And there are many people out there who believe that you can use recreational drugs and not get addicted. And to be fair, people do use them and they don't get addicted. That's all part of harm reduction. It's all part of a different view of addiction and a different view of drugs. If that's something that you want to take back up with us on centres and the the attitude to drugs, happy to do it. 0818 96 96 96. Now, it's coming up to, it is quarter to 12, which means I'll be heading out. On Friday, I treat myself to lunch. I'm normally very disciplined and very good but on Friday I treat myself to lunch and I might head off for <coughs> a nice sandwich uh, Joe you'd recommend I, listen you don't need to recommend I know how wonderful it is you brought a friend into the Long Valley and you were shocked that they didn't know how good the stuff was in there 
Yeah, considering it's probably the dying of um, city centre city centre sandwich bars, so to speak, uh, the Long Valley, I suppose, has been iconic with its uh, unique doorstep sandwich for many years. So I was surprised, uh, considering he's around the same age as myself, that it was his first time in there, and he was suitably impressed, needless to say. Mm. Have you come across any better than that around the city or anything to compare with it? It's very difficult uh, to say that I have. Um, Historically, I suppose, growing up, um, I can recall as a child going into the Victoria Hotel when it fronted onto Patrick Street. And mm. uh, I can recall on a Saturday, my father bringing us in there and there were silver platters of sandwiches served and they were very well dressed. But they were probably very simple in, in terms of the way sandwiches have kind of progressed these days. Rocha stores, I suppose, for many years, the original Rocha stores cafe on the side oh, street. Yes. Um their sandwiches, this was seemed magnificent at the time, but it was very basic stuff. It was a choice of chicken, egg, um, uh, tomato, cheese. Uh, you know, they were kind of sim- simplistic back then, but sandwiches, I suppose, have graduated. You know, the toast had gone to paninis. But the Long Valley, I suppose, why it's so unique is that all the meats are cooked on the premises mm-hmm. and, you know, there's no fancy garnishing. It, you know, the sandwich doesn't need a garnish because it's a standalone sandwich and Actually, one of my pet hates is um, uh, places that serve crisps on the side with really, sandwiches, Joe? I think. Why? Yeah, I I just maybe think you could dress it up a little bit better, maybe a nice side salad, which a lot of places do, or maybe those straw chips, I think they call them alumets, something along those lines, just be a little bit more creative. But I think, you know, we can all have crisps at our sandwiches at home, but maybe not when you're paying for the privilege. Now, there's a the thing, a taters. I, I, I came across a pub on my holidays last year that was doing a tater sandwich. Yeah, and, and funny, the other day we were talking about different types of sandwiches maybe the people would have had at home, you know, sugar cropped up and yeah, jam. Uh, banana sandwiches, jam sandwiches, you know, uh, uh, back in maybe simpler times. But uh, one of the unique things about the Long Valley maybe was the range of meats they had, you know, varying from corned beef, spiced beef, roast beef, ham, mm. pork, ox tongue was even on the menu there at one mm. stage uh, in, in terms of sandwiches. But uh Mm. You know, it was just it just is kind of unique, and it stood the test of time as well. It's yeah. it's longevity, I suppose. No pun intended. Long Valley the, the, has the, probably added to it. The old the old uh, ones that we used to all get as kids. You'd get the jam, and you'd get Nutella. I remember my mother putting Nutella, and these these um, they were kind of a cream cheese thing that you'd put on them, and or oh, easy singles. You'd get an easy single sandwich. We'll put some yeah. cheese for the, life the, with ketchup on them. The, the, the sandwich actually originated, I think, as late as the 18th century. I think the, the Earl of Sandwich, a man called John Montague, was fond of playing cards at night. And he got his uh, valet to provide him with salted beef between two slices of bread so as he could carry on playing cribbage, which was the, the favoured game of the aristocracy. So that's where the, the sandwich originated from. And sandwich is a part of the UK where the, the British Open golf is often heard. So yes, hell, yes. so it was the, the Earl of Sandwich who brought the, the sandwich to the forefront. You you, ra- you travel a lot uh, as a, a sports reporter and sports journalist and I know you, you like to sample the food up and down the country in various sporting venues and otherwise. What would be your favourite restaurant in the country if you had to pick one? 
There's a restaurant in Kildare called the Silken Thomas, which I often go into maybe after racing at the Cora or Punchestown. And I just think it's top class. Whether you go to the restaurant or whether you go to the bar, you know, if you want to have a really good a la carte menu there, it's excellent. And, you know, it does really well uh, with people coming from Kildare Village shopping as well. So for me, that would be one of my favourites. Joe, consistently good but the Long Valley is world class to be fair people people come from far and wide to sample it thank you Joe Joe Seward so your favourite sandwich and where did you have it or the one you never want to see again what's the sandwich that left you traumatised as a child <laughs> traumatised as a child John loves brackens Spiced beef in the Long Valley, best ever, says Una. The hot chicken rolls from Centra, says Dave. Hot chicken rolls from Centra have been... <laughs> my, my, my daughter used to say, Dad, them things that shrink tumours. Um, actually, speaking of the old stuff, I was... Um, the other day, first of all, can I just mention in passing, um, we all talk here from time to time with and about the work of the cabin studio. And I got an opportunity on Tuesday to go up there because Gary and the team, Alex and the team at the cabin, put together a workshop for my lad and his friends from Day Centre. And they went up there and they cut two two tracks and they had the most incredible fun up in, in the cabin studio. And I just wanted to mention that. In, in passing, it's got nothing to do with sandwiches and nothing to do with anything, but I wanted to mention it before we went out the gap today. Uh, okay, part of Main Road in Bandon is down to 30 kilometres an hour. The speed van is there constantly, constantly. Is that the one between Inishannon and Bandon? That's always been, always been a zone for the speed men. On Sambo's, my Christmas Eve tradition in the Long Valley with my two uh, soup and sandwiches, the perfect grub, old school, says D. On injection centres, Bernie, recently I was absolutely terrified by the carry-on near the Holy Trinity Church when I was going to meet a friend. I wasn't even going to the church, but they're hanging around that area now and there's one gang shouting at another gang and you'd be afraid something was going to break out between the lot of them and you'd be caught up in it. I really, really don't think people in that condition are going to make their way to an injection centre. If they are, as some people say they are, functional users, then injection centres aren't needed for them. I'm sorry, it just won't work for the antisocial element. That is that is a point, and that's one that... I would wonder what Kira and the people that she reads in her research would say about that. You know, meet these very aggressive gangs. And Bernie's right. There are times when you wouldn't walk down certain streets in this city at certain times of the day and night. And yes, let's call it for what it is. Down by the Holy Trinity Church can be fairly hairy at times of the day and of the night. And the point she's making is there's people there roaring and shouting at one another and getting aggressive with each other, and you just know in your heart that there's drugs involved. Are those kind of antisocial elements actually going to go into a, a centre, an injection centre at all? That's a good point, Bernie. Thank you. 0818 96 96 96. Among other things on the show next week, you may or may not know that, like Mike Murphy, he of broadcasting fame, is to be made an honorary Corkman. 
next week, the Corkonian of the Year Awards, or the Cork Person of the Year Awards, rather, the Cork Person of the Year Awards, are on next Friday. And, of course, they're picked month by month, and then there's a big, lavish lunch, and the Cork Person of the Year is awarded by Manus O'Callaghan and his judging panel. Uh, and then they have an honorary Corkman um, accolade and that in the last couple of years and that next year will be or next week well, they will be presented to Mike Murphy and Mike will be joining me on the show for a chat and some fun on Monday and we have some of his old video footage and old audio footage from the missing he used to do on the radio and television years ago so we look forward to that and there is a Cork connection he does actually have a Cork connection we actually could claim him possibly through the granny rule more about that after the weekend. In 23, we'll cut the cost of living for one loyal listener with the ultimate live free grand prize on Cork's 96 FM. Win a holiday, free fuel, supermarket shopping, computers and electrical, concert tickets, fashion and beauty, free food, and a credit union account with cash. Spending money, money. Listen to Casey and Ross in the morning and all day long for your chance to text or WhatsApp in to win. To win. Live free in 23. With Cork Credit Unions. Here for you always. Only on Cork's 96 FM. Just before we go, returning to the very top of the programme this morning where we heard that statement from the O'Sullivan family. Uh, the family of Timmy O'Sullivan, who was found this day last week, around this time, found dead in his bed in his boarded-up house in Mallow. And you you know now that there is nothing suspicious about his death. Uh, that's been, that's been um, confirmed by the pathologist. His family then issued a statement to say it was their worst nightmare. They, they lost contact with him. They didn't know where he was. They did go to the house but found it boarded up and they did check to see and they were told that maybe you should start searching in England because a lot of people thought that Timmy had gone back to the UK and this Kiran sent this in and it's worth thinking about it was reported to the authorities so why didn't they break down the door were the guards informed was he just simply put down as a missing person it's just incredible you couldn't make it up it is a sad, sad story and I have no doubt that what actually happened and the full extent of what happened will come out at the inquest into Timmy's death which will be later this year but just wanted to finish where we started and that is it the programme edited by Imro Hay produced and researched by Fergal Barry thank you all week for joining the conversation in whatever way you did we'll start it again Monday morning just after nine Hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy so I created Pretty Litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.